Hello and welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl. And I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein. Rick, a lot to get to. We're going to be talking to the head of the Senate Conservatives Fund shortly. Uh, this is actually a big deal. It is a big deal, and they, they, they have a victory out of Alabama that is uh, roiling the Republican Party all over again. These are the guys that like the fact that Roy Moore uh, won down in Alabama and wants to, they want to see more candidates like him. Uh, this is going to be good. You're making noise about uh, maybe mini Roy Moores elsewhere in the country, and maybe Donald Trump will be on their side next day. And then we're going to be talking to our friend Doug High, who was the former spokesperson for the RNC. He's got a slightly different version on this. Uh, he's a little horrified by everything, I believe. We'll ask Doug to speak sure. for himself. But before we get to that, um, th- th- there's been a lot of other news, and and uh, obviously, there's the you know the, we're going to talk about the fallout of that primary defeat in Alabama. Uh, but the situation in Puerto Rico has gotten really, really bad. We've seen those images of those uh, containers after container after container at the port, unable to be distributed on the island. Uh, people dying in in, in, in nursing homes, uh, still the effort to get basic things like electricity and water to the people of Puerto Rico. But it was interesting, caught a lot of attention, what we heard from the acting uh, Secretary of Homeland Security speaking at the White House uh, about how things are going, um, and she had this to say. I am very satisfied. Um, I, I know it's a hard storm to recover from, but the amount of progress that's been made, and, and I really um, would appreciate any support uh, that we get. I know it, it, it is really a good news story in terms of our ability to, to reach people and the limited number of deaths that have taken place in such a devastating hurricane. Well, we, we heard a slightly different take on that uh, from the mayor of San Juan. Listen to this. Damn it, this is not a good news story. This is a people are dying story. This is a life or death story. This is, there's a truckload of stuff that cannot be taken to people's story. This is a story of a devastation that continues to worsen because people are not getting food and water. If I could scream it a lot more louder, it is not a good news story when people are dying, when they don't have dialysis, when their generators aren't working and their oxygen isn't providing for them. Wow. Now, Rick, let's just stipulate a few facts. It's not Donald Trump's fault that two hurricanes, two massive hurricanes hit the island of Puerto Rico. Right. Okay. Um it is not Donald Trump's fault that, as he points out, Puerto Rico is an island. It is. It's out and, there. And uh, might ocean. be slightly I, I, harder to get. I uh, on that. Might be slightly harder to get uh, relief to than, uh, say, Florida. Um, let's stipulate that Puerto Rico has enormous infrastructure challenges apart from any hurricane that, that that make a hurricane all the more devastating and difficult to recover from. But it's probably not a good idea for the Secretary of Homeland Security to say that uh, that this is a good news story when talking about the federal relief effort, which that's, is very much kind of just getting started. That's a great point. It sounds like heck of a job, me. And It, it is sounds a, worse than heck of a job, yeah. yes. It, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really hard argument, and I think it's, it's an important point about the federal response and what we remember about Katrina, which people have drawn that comparison, including the general that oversaw the relief, is saying this seems like a, a new Katrina. It, it, the, the federal response takes a long time, and they don't pick up the pieces until well after the storm has cleared. This is really when they're beginning. And 
to, to, to show those images side by side with that kind of sound is problematic for President Trump. And keep in mind the context here, John, is that he was seen as active and on the ball for the last two storms in Texas and in Florida. Uh, and in this case, his some of his initial responses have, have had a whole lot of people raising eyebrows. You start with him saying that, that Puerto Rico had those infrastructure problems and debt problems. Uh, he's now saying on Twitter that we have to make some hard choices about how to rebuild given the fiscal problems in Puerto Rico. This is a long way from uh, what we saw after Florida and Texas, which is essentially here's the money. Here's a blank check. We will get it done. We're going to be bigger and better than before. The kind of brash Trump talk that you get. Uh, as you know, he's headed to Puerto Rico next week. I think you'll be with him on that trip, as a matter of fact. I, uh, I plan to go. And, and, and he's got a three-star general that's going to be taking, yeah. taking charge. I mean, it's, you know, they, they're – and I, Tom Bossert, the, uh, the, the Homeland Security Advisor, um, seems to be on, on the ball. Uh, um, but but this, is a, this is a massive effort. The point that Bossert made this morning is that the uh, – unlike dealing with Texas, Louisiana, Florida – you don't have as effective an effective a partner down there. There's not, again, there's the infrastructure problem, and Puerto Rico does not have the resources that the states have in terms of dealing with an, a disaster like this. And that's one reason that Senator Marco Rubio, um, Florida Republican, has a, a large Puerto Rican population in his state. He's been very active down there. He sent staffers down there. He's been kind of the face of this uh, response as far as the Senate, because Puerto Rico doesn't have representation in Congress. And, and he has called on the president to militarize the response because he's worried about the, the, the chain of command. Uh, and he's not even sure that appointing that three-star general is, en- is going to be enough to get it done. I, it, there's, it seems so far that the White House has been a beat behind on this, where they weren't on the previous two storms. And John, this has just been the most extraordinary couple of weeks, late summer, to have these back-to-back-to-back storms. And uh, this is the one, it's, I would stipulate now, that is going to define President Trump's response to storms. People remember this one more than the previous two because it got off to that slightly slower start and because logistically um, it, it is so much more difficult infrastructure-wise and geography-wise than, uh, than either Texas or Florida. So we're going to be joined very shortly by Ken Cuccinelli, who heads up the Senate Conservatives Fund. So to take a a, a pretty hard turn here, I uh, want to set up. We want to talk to him about the uh, about the midterms, about what happened in Alabama, and about the vision that he sees for the kind of uh, Republican he wants to get elected. Uh, you know, in these Republican primaries. Um, so before, but by way of setup, should we go through a little bit about Roy Moore, who yeah. is you know who, who won in Alabama? Uh, this is this is a, a candidate that the Senate Conservatives Fund and uh, and and a lot of the president's uh, friends, if not the president himself, people like Steve Bannon, uh, Sebastian Gorka, uh, Sarah Palin supported uh, in the primary. But Roy Moore is a, shall we say, a c- controversial figure. Uh, controversial, to say the least. I mean, th- he is he is well out of the mainstream of Republican politics, even in the Trump era, which has redefined the mainstream, as you know. Uh, and that's a reason that President Trump himself wanted Luther Strange, the appointed senator in Alabama, to, to win this special election. And that's why Mitch McConnell spent upwards of probably $10 million when it's all counted, trying to, to maintain Luther Strange's seat versus another Republican. That has nothing to do with the general election. That's in December. Democrats are going to make noises about this. We talked to Chris Van Hollen recently on the podcast about the, the, the potential for them to play down there. They'll get some attention. But 
the concept, the idea of Roy Moore in the United States Senate, I think, is something that people are going to have to take some getting used to. Because yeah. this is a guy that is uh, that is on the fringes uh, for for any politics in 2017. But but, but let's not. I don't want to take your word for that. Let, let's just use a, take co- his words. Yeah, <laughs> well, let's take a couple of his own words. One uh, on the issue of of September 11th, which one of the great tragedies of, of our lifetime, uh, terrorist attack on on our soil. Uh, do you recall what he had to say about that um, back in February? Well, in case you don't, here it is. Despise this word, impressed and perverseness and oppression, stay there. Therefore, this iniquity shall be to you as a breach, ready to fall, dwelling out in the high wall, whose breaking cometh suddenly at an instant. That little bit of light. The Pentagon, whose breaking came suddenly at an instant. If you think that's coincidence, you go over to verse 25. There shall be upon every high mountain, upon every hill, rivers and streams of water in the day of the great slaughter when the tower would fall. So it seems to be suggesting that, uh, that the attack by Islamic terrorists on uh, the World Trade Center and on the Pentagon was somehow... Um, Foreseen by Scripture and, and, and God's wrath. So, and then one more thing, then we're going to go to uh, Ken Cuccinelli. Uh, he, he's got some interesting views on, on gay rights. Yes, he does. Well, not, I guess he wouldn't. Well, again, let, 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 let's take a look at what he says on the issue of homosexuality. Sure. I think it's a yes or no. Do you think that homosexual, homosexuality or homosexual conduct should be illegal today? That's a yes or no question. Homosexual conduct should be, should be illegal. Yes. Should be illegal. Yes, yes. Okay. Um, that's slightly different than what I've heard from the President of the United States. Uh, at any rate, Ken Cuccinelli, the uh, head of the Senate Conservatives Fund, thank you for joining us on Powerhouse Politics. Good morning. So I know. Good to be with you. Uh, thank you. For, I, I know uh, Roy Moore wasn't your first choice. You guys uh, supported Brooks in the, uh, in the first round. Um, but but are, are you concerned that you're going to have a situation like, re- like Republicans had with. Uh, with, with, with Todd Akin, um, you know, where, where you've got a candidate who says things that are so far outside the mainstream, it's going to be uh, something that's going to hurt other Republicans running in, on, you know, other states? Um, look, Judge Roy Moore is a very hard-edged guy. This is a guy who was removed from the Alabama Supreme Court twice um, because he refused to back down on various items, for instance, the most famous one being not removing the Ten Commandments um, from court property. Um, and what I think is most valuable for Washington purposes, he is clearly a biblical, you might even say Old Testament type of a guy. Um, nonetheless, he stands. He, 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 you may not agree with him, but he's never deceitful about what he believes. He always is very upfront about it, and he stands even at cost to himself. I mean, he lost his job twice, and that kind of backbone is something that, frankly, I think is worth um, the bumps in the road that may come with a judge more. There's no perfect candidate for sure, and as you noted uh, in the first round of the nomination, we supported Congressman Brooks, who's a member of the Freedom Caucus. Um, We said nice things about Judge Moore, but... Look, Judge Moore won running against Mitch McConnell, $10 million, and with the president and vice president coming in to try to prop up Luther Strange. Luther Strange is not a wild-eyed liberal, 
but he immediately cozied up to the leadership. And look, what's wrong with America doesn't divide along the lines of Republicans and Democrats. There are right things to do and wrong things to do. Let me just finish, just, and I'll finish quickly. But the leadership in the U.S. Senate today, Mitch McConnell and his gang of five, are part of the problem with America. And Judge Moore, a known quantity in Alabama, ran against that idea that Luther Strange had cozied up to, and he won resoundingly. And that's what's rattling these Republican senators, and it's what's shaking the, the Republican rafters across the country. But, but Ken, I mean, come on. This idea that because somebody's got backbone, it doesn't matter even if you disagree with them. I mean, there are some hardcore extremists I don't need to mention uh, who have incredible backbone. Um, if you've got backbone behind an idea that is... Uh, uh, offensive or way outside the mainstream, that just because you're, you've got backbone doesn't make that okay. Isn't it? I mean, do you, how, how do you support somebody? How, do the, how does the Republican Party rally around somebody who says that homosexuality should be illegal? I mean, not, not, not simply he disagrees, well, he has moral remember. problems, but, but, but he thinks that people should effectively, you know, be, be arrested uh, for, for their sexual preference. Well, look, it was illegal in virtually all states until just a few years ago, and people weren't being rounded up for it. It was a statement of legal position, and the Supreme Court has wiped that off the books. But even when it when that position was in the law, and that's in years in my lifetime and not very long ago, um, nobody was being rounded up. No one was being arrested. That What you're describing as the boogeyman wasn't happening. And look, he is a Bible-based candidate. That is where he comes from. And he's going to be an Alabama senator. I don't think it should be all that un, uh, shocking that a candidate like that is entirely viable as a senator from Alabama. And Alabama ain't New York. But the fact that he was willing to sacrifice himself to not back down from what he believes is going to be important, and it isn't going to be on these issues. It's going to be when he arrives, he's going to be a U.S. senator on December 13th, two days before the budget deadline that was set by President Trump and Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, interestingly enough. And you're going to be you're going to have one of the Mitch McConnell specials where they cram all their junk into that bill and he's going to be there with a 5248 Senate with a lot of leverage and there on budget votes backbone matters as well and it's where with a 20 trillion dollar debt the the country is facing a precipice and having backbone on those kinds of issues is absolutely critical Folding the surrender attitude of the Republican leadership, Mitch McConnell and his gang of five, has failed America. They have not done what they promised. And and look, if you don't like, as you guys clearly don't, uh, judge more like candidates, the reason he's so viable is the complete and utter deceitful, I can't even call it failure by Mitch McConnell, these are people who have lied to their voters. If they don't want to see this grassroots fire turn into a forest fire, then they need to start delivering on their promises. I mean, look, Lindsey Graham has said this. 
Lindsey Graham, he's an anti-conservative Republican, has said, well, you know, if I were a Republican running right now... I don't know now, if Lindsey would agree with that characterization, by the way, just, just, just for the record. I, I, I don't think, at, I don't think you, Lindsey Graham uh, would say he's anti-conservative. So you're a Lindsey Graham Republican apologist. I mean, give me a break, guys. <laughs> Come on. These are people who, who fight harder with conservatives than with Democrats because they're anti-conservative. Mitch McConnell said, quote, I'm going to crush conservatives everywhere, and look how much money he spent to try and do Mitch it in McConnell Alabama. I mean, this is a real problem on the Republican side of the aisle. So I, I want to talk about what's next for Senate Conservatives Fund, uh, particularly taking on some of these other races. But just to button this up, you're a former attorney general of the state of Virginia. What is What takes right. primacy? Is it the Constitution or is it the Bible? In our American structure of law, it is, of course, the Constitution. And um, and and the thing about uh, what Judge Moore has done in in Alabama is he he took the consequences for his defiance. He laid himself in front of the various tribunals. He made his case, and on two occasions he was removed from office. So um, you know, do would would I have done the exact same thing? No, I don't think I would have. But. I, I don't hold the same exact set of beliefs that he does. So what I appreciate, and look, I've had this with liberals when I was in Virginia State Senate. The ones I appreciate are the ones who stand up and explain to you why they believe what they believe and will contend with you on the merits. And, you know, I may think they're wrong, but let's at least have an honest discussion. And Roy Moore comes out of that school. And again, you all clearly don't agree with his belief system, and I can appreciate that. It's America. You get to have that view. But uh, understand the phenomena that makes a Roy Moore success and a whomping success, almost 10-point win, yeah. over the kind of odds he was facing possible. I mean, this just didn't happen so, on its own. So t- talk to me about what's next now. So what races are you now looking at, uh, particularly where you've got Republicans that you think are anti-conservative Republicans? And in your view, does Mitch McConnell have to worry about his job after the midterms? Uh, I don't think you have to wait for the midterms for Mitch McConnell to worry about his job. I mean, he is... Uh, you know, it's interesting how the the press shift has gone from he's this brilliant strategist to pointing out that he doesn't have a significant piece of legislation to his name and that every budget is done on a train wreck basis at the very end of a year when they've passed no appropriations bills. People are finally waking up to what a failure of leadership he has provided at the same time as fueling these intra-party fights. He's not a victim of intra-party fights. He's a cause of them. So, so yes, he is in, he is in a very serious predicament. Um, and when you look at what's coming in 2018, it's a very unusual map in the Senate. 25 Democrat seats are being defended. Half of those are winnable by Republicans. Doesn't mean they'll be won by Republicans, but they're going to be seats that the, def- that the, the, Democrats are going to have to actively defend. They're going to have their map is spread. Demo- Republicans are defending only, I want to say, eight or nine seats. And you, you've already seen Bob Corker c- quit rather than face the, the wrath of his own grassroots. And understand the more people knew on Sunday that the president coming in for Roy Moore. I'm sorry, Luther Strange's people knew on Sunday that when the president came in for him on Friday, it hadn't worked. They were really counting on him to, to, to do what he did to Mo Brooks. I mean, Luther Strange beat Mo Brooks in round one because of the president. But the president didn't get Luther Strange past Roy Moore. 
And they knew that by Sunday, and you could tell by the kind of desperate attacks that rolled out on Monday. And that's why Bob Corker retired on Tuesday, because he didn't want to face that. And you look around the country at people like Roger Wicker in Mississippi, um, and you've got uh, Flake, of course, has been in open warfare with President Trump. Um, Dean Heller has spent the five years he's been in the Senate shooting at his own feet, and he's and he's sort of ruined himself with with an awful lot of con- constituencies in his own state. So there's there's a lot of incumbent opportunities out there this cycle, um, and um, Republicans, or while that. Some people say, "Oh gosh, never fight amongst yourselves." That's going to be absolutely critical. If 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 they're going to be serious about repealing Obamacare, it isn't going to happen with the current team. You got to change the team, and that means both leadership and some of these folks. So that's going to be a major focus. At the same time, you've got people like Claire McCaskill, Joe Manchin, Heidi Heitkamp, John Tester, defending states that Trump won heavily. Uh, Senator Brown in Ohio, uh, Trump so won by nine. Indiana. And, Donnelly, Indiana. Absolutely. You're right. And and Josh Mandel is already running ahead of Senator Brown in Ohio a year and a half out, a challenger running about eight points ahead. It's really pretty incredible. And now Josh is running an outstanding campaign. But the fact of the matter is the Dems are really on their heels in this round in the Senate, in the Senate. But you think that Republicans should get rid of McConnell now? I mean, you you, you think that might happen? Is that, is that what I hear you saying that it that, 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 that I, I, it's time I do for think a... that this kind of eight months of failure? And um, you know, when he said the president's expectations were so high, everybody was shocked, and it sounded to a lot of people like he was taking a shot at the president. I don't think he was taking a shot at the president. I think the most shocking thing about his statement is he just thought it was it was like a statement of fact that, well, you know, you can't really expect us to do these things. We've been saying we do for all these years and to have a plan for how to do this after seven years. And and that's what leadership is supposed to do. And um, he's revealing his own failure there. So he is is in extraordinary uh, danger. And so is that whole leadership team. I mean, it isn't enough to see Roy Blunt move in and take Mitch McConnell's place. That doesn't change anything. So you should look for people outside of the current leadership to start getting uncomfortable because Mitch McConnell has become an albatross around their neck. So, so just just a quick uh, other thing. I, you, you mentioned Trump, and you know Trump was obviously on the losing side in the in the runoff down in Alabama. Yes. Um, yep. I I remember you uh, at the convention in in Cleveland, basically one of the last people standing in defiance of Donald Trump. You know, throwing your credentials on on, on the ground and and trying to lead that effort. Uh, to keep the the party from nominating Trump uh, as 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 their no, uh... no, no, no. whoa 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 okay that, that is a that is a media myth you okay correct correct me doing. correct me correct me yes no I'm happy to I'm happy okay. to do it and I appreciate the opportunity we had a we had a set of changes to the RNC rules that's what that was about the reason I threw my credentials on the floor is because they were violating their own rules in not recognizing us we had ten states to make the motion. For an alternative set of rules, but the rules were about opening the convention up, right? That was the that was the, that was the no, no, no. They would not have affected the nomination. The the rules. So were you were about supporting Trump and the rules going forward. Uh, well, I supported uh, Cruz in the nomination, but at the convention, Donald Trump had a majority of the votes. We weren't trying to undo that. Um, and, and under the rules then existing, and we weren't trying to change the then existing rules. 
we were trying to change the rules going forward to change how the nomination would take place. You remember when Donald Trump said, oh, this system is rigged, when, when party people in Florida would literally meet behind closed doors in Indiana and New York to pick the delegates to the convention? He was right. <laughs> he was right. We were trying to fix those rigged elements of the process because our belief was, hey, look, we've got these anti-establishment Trump delegates here. We've got these anti-establishment Cruz delegates here, and together they're a majority. Um, and uh, and so let's finally de-establishmentize the RNC rules. And that's what we were trying to do, and there were three factions. There was the our anti-establishment faction. There was the RNC faction, led by Priebus. And then there was the Trump campaign. And the Trump campaign was the swing vote. And they chose to go with RNC at that time, and that sunk us. Um, But the way RNC did it was to violate their own rules. That's what we were so furious about. You know, give us our vote. You want to beat us? Then, then outvote us. Final thing, you have some experience running for governor in Virginia. There's a there's a big race coming up there. What's your advice to Ed Gillespie yeah. when you when you, there's been people talking about he's got a Trump problem? Does he have a Trump problem? And how does Ed Gillespie navigate Donald Trump in a state like Virginia, which went for Hillary Clinton? Right, went for Hillary by four points, forty nine, forty five, and and the one thing that is important to know is the turnout is going to drop from about 70% of voter turnout in the presidential to about 42-43% in the governor's race. So the same proportions uh, show up then Ed loses, but the same proportions don't have to show up if he motivates his folks more than Ralph Northam, who's really not a scintillating character. The Bernie people are not real happy with him. Uh, There's an opening here for Ed Gillespie, who, of course, not surprisingly, is also a good fundraiser. Um, But he's going to have to do it. He's rolled 17 policies out. He's really got to light that up. I don't think it's quite enough to just say, hey, let's cut taxes. I think you also have to say, let's um, take the cronyism out of our electricity rates. Let's do all this kind of stuff. And that plays against type because the other side attacks him for making money as a lobbyist. We'll come in there and do the good policy populist stuff that gives the Bernie people a, a chance to scratch their head and say, gosh, this guy's talking about things that we like. These are things that left and right tend to agree on. And um, and those those openings are there in Virginia. I think in October he needs to seize them. And just for your listeners' perspective, October in these odd-year elections is when the movement takes place. Um, these races, you don't measure them off Labor Day. You really measure them off October 1st in Virginia. So it's sprint time, and it's going to be well worth watching. All right. Ed's got a real shot at winning. All right. Ken Cuccinelli, uh, the Senate Conservatives Fund, taking on the Republican establishment. We are going to take a quick break, and then we're going to talk to a card-carrying member of the Republican establishment (laughs) when we get back. Ken, thanks a lot. Good to be with you both. Hey, it's Rebecca Jarvis, and I wanted to tell you about my podcast, No Limits. We bring you a new guest with a new story every Tuesday. We're talking to trailblazing women across a variety of industries to hear about how they've built success and carved a unique path. And you can find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now. Just search No Limits with Rebecca Jarvis and subscribe today. All right, we're back now in Powerhouse Politics with our friend, friend of the, of the podcast, uh, uh, Doug High, former uh, chief spokesperson uh, for the Republican National Committee. You remember those days? 
I do, I do. Those are the heady days at, uh, in the Republican establishment. Doug, Doug went out for long lunches and uh, yeah. you know got to also wants a big player in the Republican <laughs> leadership in the House. Oh, he's still a I big mean, player. This guy, he's still I mean, a big player. I mean, oh, he's a huge player, but now he's he's kind of a grown beyond all of that. Doug, thank you for joining us on Powerhouse Politics. Thanks so much. I can truly say that I'm a longtime listener, first-time caller. So. <laughs> hey, love it, excellent, love it. excellent. So we just heard from Ken Cuccinelli. He's fired up about the Roy Moore victory uh, in uh, in Alabama. Uh, sees a great chance to uh, uh, for for Republicans uh, to lose their primaries. Dean Heller, uh, uh, Jeff Flake. Uh, he, sees, he sees he sees a real chance for Republicans. The kind of Republicans. That Even Roger Wicker going down. Yeah, Roger Wicker going down. Uh, all these liberal, these these far left Republicans like Roger Wicker. Um, can you uh, can you give us? I mean, what what is going on with with your party? Well, we are in, I would say, some real growing pains right now. And and I can tell you, you know, from my own experience in 1992, I worked for Locke Faircloth's campaign in the, for the Senate where he campaigned to make Jesse Helms the liberal senator from North Carolina. But of course, that was, that was a little less serious than, than what we're seeing right now. Locke um, Faircloth today think, would, be, would be one of the ones targeted, right? Uh, potentially so, um, because what this has become about, I think, more is personality um, over policy. In Alabama, you didn't really hear any talk about personalities it was, or about policy. It was all about who could be more like Donald Trump. Who could ride a horse um, to, the, we've seen, to, the, to the polling place. <laughs> Right. And what we've seen is that the louder and angrier voices win. But, you know, I would caution some of my conservative brethren that we've been there before and have seen the negative impacts. Um, and, and part of what we underestimate about Alabama is the, is the impact that local politics um, and, and politicians play. We had a very weak uh, nominee in, or, or incumbent in Luther Strange. Um, and we've seen that in the past, you know, in, in 2010. Christine O'Donnell beat a very weak and flawed Mike Castle, who I can tell you when I met with his team in 2009 was not taking not only the, the primary seriously, but thought that the election would be a spirited elect, uh, election based on the issues, which it clearly wasn't. Uh, when Richard Murdoch beat Dick Luger, he beat a very flawed Dick Luger who had trouble even voting for himself. And when Joe Miller beat Lisa Murkowski, uh, and I, I would remind you, Joe Miller is uh, the Alaska Senate GOP nominee from 2010 that Brad Woodhouse couldn't remember his name on an action-packed episode of Top Line. No, 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 no. Ago. He couldn't remember the Democratic challenger's the Democrat, name. Yeah. Uh, Doug, please, if you're going to quote Top Line <laughs> episodes. <laughs> the, uh, the fact that you have the encyclopedic <laughs> knowledge is fantastic. But if, if you remember, Lisa Murkowski didn't really take... Everybody remembered Joe seriously. Miller's name. That Joe was Miller the one. Her. That's right. <laughs> That's a good point. But so they've beaten weak candidates. So I think one of the lessons that we need to learn is to not always overlearn lessons. Certainly um, some activists feel emboldened. They're going to push forward. No surprise. There's also a lot of money to be made there. So Doug, talk through the consequences here. Uh, This is, as you know, a very favorable Senate map. I mean, you almost couldn't find a better map for Republicans. But is your fear that that your party could screw it up by going too far in other directions if you end up with with Roy Moore like candidates, not just in Alabama, but also in a Mississippi and particularly in Arizona and in Nevada? Does does the party end up shooting itself in the foot? I, I think very potentially so. This is this is why we have Chris Coons in the Senate from Delaware instead of Christine O'Donnell or Mike Castle. This is why Claire McCaskill is in the Senate and Todd Akin is not. This is why we have Joe Donnelly in the Senate instead of Richard Murdoch or Dick Luger. We're going to have tough 
battles here, tough primary battles, tough general election battles. And, you know, what I want to see is Republicans uh, victorious in November. And if we challenge these incumbents who really haven't committed any kind of a fireable offense, uh, I think if you go back in the Wayback Machine 10 years ago and say somehow that Jeff Flake is, is not one of the most conservative Republicans out there, no one would take that seriously. We run the risk of shooting ourselves in the foot or higher because we've already shot off our feet with Christine O'Donnell, with Richard Murdoch, with Todd Akin. Uh, so we'll be shooting a bit higher. A bit higher. So one question about McConnell, because I talked to, to one top McConnell person this week and said, you know, this just says we're going to need to be more aggressive in these primary fights, spend more money. But is it possible that the lesson is the opposite, that maybe McConnell, maybe even the NRSC needs to step away from supporting these folks? If you can make Luther Strange, who's barely been in Washington, a swamp creature and Mitch McConnell's best friend in, in, in ads because he because he gets money from his people. Does the establishment need to step back entirely, let this fight out, and, and hope that voters, quote-unquote, get it right from your perspective? Well, I think what they'll have to do is be smart, smarter and more strategic about how uh, they spend that money. If it is seen as the, the Mitch McConnell fund, then that, that can potentially be a problem. You know, I remember in 2014 uh, when I was working for Eric Kanner, who— as you may remember, lost a, lost a primary that might have been the shot heard around the world on all this. Uh, I remember hearing the term Chamber, uh, Chamber of Commerce Republican used as a negative thing. And that's part of the new world that we're in, um, certainly part of a new world that Donald Trump is sowing um, and, and his supporters and acolytes who are supporting whatever they see as the most Trump-like candidate, even if it's not Trump, uh, are pushing. So here in Washington, we need to be smarter and more strategic. If it is seen as branded by Washington, uh, that candidate very well could lose because if you were supporting, if you voted in Alabama for Luther Strange or for Roy Moore, essentially your vote was to vote no on Washington. And and what do you think happens in Alabama? Could do, do you do you think that uh, the Republicans could actually blow it down there? I mean, this is going to be a special election. Uh, Moore's got a very you know energized core of supporters, but he is radioactive uh, for a lot of people, even in Alabama. Could the Democrats actually pull off a win down there? I think it's going to be very, very difficult for them to pull off the win. But the fact that we're even talking about it suggests a problem, suggests a larger national problem. And again, is is the situation of where, you know, Republicans are um, shooting themselves a bit higher than just the foot. And we're already seeing that in Washington right now. If you go back to you know, 2010, 12, and 14, uh, when we nominated some of these more extreme, loud voices, uh, what we saw then was John Carl and Rick Klein would then go to every Republican senator or Senate candidate and ask them to respond to those, you know, to those very caustic comments that those candidates made. That's what happened in Washington this week. You're giving um, away John the playbook here. You got to be careful here. These are these are trade secrets. <laughs> John Bresnahan at Politico wrote uh, a story this week about how basically Republican senators were pre- pretending that they never heard of him. They never heard of him. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. <laughs> this Alabama, there was a race in Alabama. <laughs> Who won that oh, thing? Right. Who is that guy? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And, and th- this is going to happen in every state where we have um, challenging uh, either primaries or general elections to define that Republican candidate um, as a Roy Moore Republican. And that obviously could cause a lot of problems especially if Moore makes more controversial um, statements along the campaign trail, which, given what we've seen on the horse he rode in on and the little six-shooter that he had, uh, seems entirely possible. It was a little six-shooter, wasn't it? It was tiny. 
All right, Doug High, appreciate you being here. Uh, just give us one last prediction. How many home runs Aaron Judge going to finish with after this weekend? Uh, I think he's probably going to hit two more. Two um, more, he so is, 53. He's obviously been on fire, Not and uh, I can't say enough great things about him. He has been fantastic, and Sanchez, too. I know. It's great. Uh, the, the middle of the lineup for years to come. And they'll have Bryce with him soon. All right. Thanks, uh, Doug. Doug High. High. Appreciate it, Doug. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bryce. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dream on. Dream on. Uh, all right. Well, I would say we'll see the Yankees in the World Series, but I'm not sure. Um, well, let's get that guy out of the Okay. <laughs> Doug, thanks for joining us. Talk Anytime. To you soon. Thank you. Uh, so, Rick, before we get out of here, I want to play one last bit of sound for you that kind of uh, Doug, Doug made me think of. Uh, this happened just yesterday in the White House briefing room, uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, the press secretary, was asked this question. As you mentioned, Judge Moore, uh, as homosexuality should be illegal. He said that Sandy Hook was some sort of divine uh, retribution. He said Keith Ellison should not be permitted to serve in Congress because he's a Muslim. Um, so without asking about the specifics of the race, does President Trump share any of those views that I just mentioned? And if not, why does he think this person is fit to be a U.S. senator? Not that I'm aware of. Uh, I have not uh, taken a deep dive on every comment that the senator or the uh, Senate nominee has made. Uh, but I certainly know where the president stands on those issues and wouldn't see any parallel between the two so of them on that any, front. Are there any beliefs a candidate could hold or actions a candidate could take? that if he were still a Republican, the president would not endorse him? I'm not going to get into every potential hypothetical that any potential candidate may or may not have uh, over the course of the time that the president is the president. Um, I know where the president stands on specific issues. That's what I can speak about, not somebody else that's a candidate for another office that's not here. Okay, so we don't want to get into every potential hypothetical, but I, I will get <laughs> oh, into this one, one potential uh, hypothetical, and that is that if Roy Moore continues to say things that uh, uh, that uh, are, shall we say, controversial, that that subject will come up again in the White House briefing room and again in virtually every state where there is a competitive uh, Senate race, uh, particularly with a Republican up for re-election. And that's a great reason for Democrats to actually invest in that, in that race because they want Roy Moore to be very, very famous they before sure December. They sure do. All right, that is all the time we have for Powerhouse Politics. I want to thank our incredible team that puts together this show. Obviously, our grand poobah, uh, Dave Rind, Megan Hughes, uh, Avery Miller, the entire powerhouse politics team. There are many, many, many of them. Am I right? There are indeed. And, and leave us a review. Let us know how we're doing. It helps people uh, discover the show. And uh, we'll be back soon. All right. Thank you. Thank you.